that's the process of, of sanctification. You're, you're in relationship with God. Your sins are forgiven. You are in the covenant. You're not falling in and out of it all the time. Yeah. Uh, and yet we all have room to grow because there's remaining sin and God is changing us. And, and to see sanctification as one of the blessings of salvation, that this mm-hmm. is not like, all right, uh, God brought you this far and now you take it from here. Yeah, no, th- right. this is one of the blessings that's promised to us yes. in Christ and guaranteed to us that yes. God is going to do this. He's going to sanctify us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he's going to transform us where the rubber meets the road so that I'm actually becoming more and more like Jesus and more and more free from sin in my everyday life. You're listening to Make and Multiply, a podcast devoted to equipping the members of Emmaus Road Church to make and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ in the city of Sioux Falls. The people of Emmaus Road are committed to regular rhythms of gathering and scattering. We gather corporately in worship on Sunday mornings. We gather in missional communities and discipleship huddles, and we scatter throughout our city where we want to give every resident of Sioux Falls repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Make and Multiply. My name is Matt Groon, and I'm one of the pastors at Emmaus Road Church, and I am joined this morning with my dear friends, Ryan Chase, another pastor at Emmaus, and Caleb Dernberger, one of the pastoral residents at Emmaus. And this week, we are going to continue to walk through the Sovereign Grace Statement of Faith. This is our confessional document, all the pastors at Emmaus uh, sign and affirm their name, or put their name down to assign and affirm this document and all that it says, and it is a summary, a distillation, a, a systematic confessional telling of all that the Bible teaches, which is a huge project. Um, so the fact that we've, that's why it's taken a long time, but if you just were to take, look at the statement of faith, it's not very long when you consider how long the Bible is. So this is uh, in the section, part two of the gospel and the application of salvation by the Holy Spirit. It's a heck of a title. The Gospel and the Application of Salvation by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and we're, we, we looked at last week the gospel first, and then the effectual calling, regeneration, and conversion. This week, we are going to look at the last two subcategories, justification and adoption, and then sanctification, perseverance, and glorification. So I love how five things... <laughs> are in two sections. There's, there's a lot here. <laughs> there's a lot here. And and this is, as we said last week, um, kind of an explanation of the, the traditional ordo salutis, which is just Latin for the order of salvation. Um, the gospel being an objective, objective event that took place 2,000 plus years ago, how does that now apply to us in 2023? What? How is it good news for me? How is this gospel applied to people in time and in space, in history, uh, and what are kind of the, the steps that take yeah. place? I think it's important to note, too, that the, the ordo salute is this order of salvation. It's not really described anywhere clearly in the Bible, the best that we have in, in Romans 8, um, of those he foreknew, he also justified, and uh, and then glory, and you have this chain of events. That that's some of it, but we recognize that there are other parts that mm-hmm. take place. Like nowhere in the Bible is effectual calling a category other than by by name. Yeah. It's described, and then theologians later have said, "Okay, let's." There's something going on here. Let's give it a name, and the the, the right name would be effectual calling. Right. Um, so that, that's helpful to remember that these are theological categories but derived from the Bible. What we see mm-hmm. in Scripture. What we see right. in Scripture, and so we give a name to it. And I think it's helpful also to think of this in terms of 
the question, what does God do when he saves yes. me? Because to save somebody just kind of seems like a singular thing. And yet what we see in scripture is when God saves us, he is doing all of these things. Mm. There are numerous blessings and benefits to salvation. So yes. to speak of God saving is to speak of God calling and regenerating and justifying and adopting and sanctifying and persevering and glorifying. So it's like unpacking, you know, one of those fold out kind of things. You, you open up salvation and it just this drop down. Here's everything, <laughs> all the blessings and benefits of salvation. And, and so it's a glorious thing then to take those out one by one and examine, this is part of my salvation. Yeah. And this is also part of my salvation. Yeah, that answers the question, why does this matter? So why should, why should I give my attention to yes. these long words and what they mean? Because you're a Christian, you're in Christ, and this all yeah. matters to how you live and it, in the good of that right now. It keeps going, like it gets better and yeah. better. You mean God also does this? Yeah. Further up and further in. Yes, yeah. exactly. It, it really is like to think about what does it mean that you are saved? Yeah. If all if all you think of that I'm saved is that I'm not going to hell, mm-hmm. you are neglecting incredible benefits mm. that are yours in Christ. Right. And and this is this section in particular is meant to play those out. So I'll start with subsection three, justification and adoption. In their union with Christ, believers freely receive all the benefits of the gospel. Those whom God effectually calls to himself. He justifies in Christ, forgiving all of their sins and declaring them righteous and acceptable in his sight. This declaration is judicial, addressing not our nature, but our status with regard to God's law. It is definite, being neither gradually gained nor able to be lost, and it is gracious, a free gift of God's righteousness based on nothing worked in us or by us, but received freely by faith. The sole ground of our justification is the righteousness of Christ, whose life of perfect obedience is imputed to us and whose substitutionary death on our behalf completely satisfies the demands of God's justice toward our sins. Those whom God justifies, he adopts into his family, granting them the full status, rights, and privileges of beloved sons. As God's children, we receive his name, enjoy access into his presence, experience his care and discipline, and eagerly await the glorious inheritance he promises his own. Yeah, that, that first sentence, in their union with Christ, believers freely receive all the benefits of the gospel. Just what we were saying, there, there are incredible benefits of this gospel, uh, not least of which is being saved from our sins. Mm. But there is more than that. It is, it is not just not dying, mm. but life, and not just living, but abundant mm. life and glorious life and mm. access to the Father and so forth. So... I don't know what what out of these that paragraph guys did caught your caught your eye. Yeah, justification is the forgiveness of our sins. So we're, mm. we're, this deals first of all with that blessing of salvation. When God saves us, He justifies us. Mm. And Paul s- spends a lot of the book of Romans dealing with justification. But in Romans four, he quotes David speaking of the blessings of justification. Blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven, Mm. whose lawless deeds are remembered no more. That is fundamentally the blessing of justification. And like the statement of faith says here, it it is a judicial declaration. Mm. So it's not dealing with our nature that we are by nature 
righteous people who have done righteous things is dealing with our legal status. It is a verdict that is handed down. You know, under the law, you are either innocent or guilty. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's it. They're just th- those two categories. And in our sin, the verdict is is guilty. And so justification is dealing with how is it that God can remain righteous and holy and pure. He, he doesn't turn a blind eye to sin. He deals with it all perfectly, justly. And yet, how can he do that while pardoning us mm-hmm. and acquitting us and declaring that we are not guilty? And so this is really fundamental to all the other blessings of salvation, because until our status under God's law is dealt with, none of the other subsequent blessings we're going to talk about could ever belong to us. Mm -hmm. And that justification, so it's helpful to to think of it as in this, like you were saying, Ryan, in bringing it into the courtroom scene, you have a judge who's standing, you are standing before And not only is that a terrifying thought, but you are guilty and you know you're guilty. That's a, I remember, I remember a conversation with um, somebody who had been, who was in our church a long time ago and we were in huddle and he was describing how he had uh, gotten a speeding ticket or something in his work truck. Um, And he, he knew he he had done it. He knew he was guilty. Are you talking about me? I'm not talking about you. It sounds like me. Well, were you in a work truck? <laughs> yes, I was. Well, Anyways, okay. you said anyway, too much. <laughs> so it's not you. But he, he described in Huddle this experience of he because he was in a work vehicle, he had to go to court, he had to go in court and he was standing before a judge. And he just said it was such a humbling experience mm. standing before a judge, even for something as simple as a as a speeding ticket, standing before a judge knowing you're guilty and just completely you, yeah, you have no you defense. Have, you have no defense. There's no nothing you can say. So how do you plead? <laughs> that is how we are by nature before God. Mm. And this justification is now God declaring you innocent. And that and not just innocent, righteous. Mm-hmm. That is mind-boggling. And I guess a question is, can he do that? It can he can God, isn't he it, does that undermine his Justice does that undermine his um, his righteousness of being a fair and just God? Does he just sweep our sins under the rug? No, this is why Jesus had to die because in our justification, Christ is saying, "My life for theirs. Take mine, and I will take their punishment. They will receive all that I have secured for them in my righteousness." That's Second Corinthians uh, chapter five of. He who had no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's that great transaction, and it's a legal one. It's a legal switch so that now Christ is seen as guilty, and we are seen as innocent. So the justice of God, the the goodness and righteousness of God is upheld. It's not sweeping under the rug or letting guilty people go free, but rather we are now made righteous by in our status, not necessarily in our nature, because we still sin, but as our status, we are seen now as the righteousness of Christ. And this all takes place within our union with him. And because then Christ dealt with our sin in the cro- at the cross in his death and then defeated it and rose from the dead, he has now vindicated that righteousness that is ours. And now we belong to him by virtue of union with him and now receive all all of his benefits, which include being adopted and, yeah. and so forth. So mm. all the benefits that come to us come to us because of our union with Christ. Yeah. And, and we've even saying this this weekend, it's 
under it's being put under his shelter almost is being he is our refuge in this union with him um, protected us from the wrath of God absorbed the wrath of God and now we are made right with God because of this is how we are reconciled to God yeah yeah for those who have a hard time too with these these big terms that mean a lot and that's, that's why we're unpacking them like for instance justification and maybe you're put off by you're like why do I need to know that I think well, you do. And one way to remember kind of what it means is I, I always think of the, the first line of the, the song, the solid rock. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. So th- there you have it. I mean, that is the heart of the gospel. It's Jesus' blood spilt so that we might be forgiven and and um, and then his righteousness applied to us. I, it matters because of how often we fall in and out of based off of what we feel and what we believe to be true and because of our sin. You know, justification gives us the grounds to be able to say, it really doesn't matter how I feel right now because I am objectively justified mm. by God. Mm. And or it also gives way to, to, to the reality that you will never be more or less righteous than you are right now. Mm. Um, but I love how this section not only talks about our legal standing, that we are right with God, like we can stand next to somebody and be, we're okay, we're not going to fight right now. But it goes even further in our adoption, that mm-hmm. God has not only just made us right in his sight, but we are now legally, rightfully his sons, his daughters. We are adopted into his family and all the benefits of not just a family, but the best family with the mm-hmm. best father. Mm-hmm. Um, and the section goes on to talk about that. Yeah. yeah. I think, again, it's it's also important that that line in this statement of this is neither gradually gained nor able to be lost, meaning it's not a drawn out process of, well, let's just wait and see. Let's give it a mm-hmm. trial period and see how you do. Mm-hmm. No, it is a instantaneous, effectual slamming of the gavel guilty, not guilty decision. And with that then, there is because there's a moment in an adoption process where all of a sudden this child becomes yours. This child who isn't yours physically now becomes yours legally and all the benefits of that. And that moment, that gavel slamming is such an important thing because that that gives us security. I know when it happened, whether you know I it, it happened, it's it's objective. It's not this subjective, well when did it happen? No, there was an objective moment where God declared that, and it cannot be it cannot be gained gradually and will not be lost. So that's to me, I find that very securing yeah. Yeah. that that's happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And the blessings then of adoption, the way uh, I've thought about this, it, it's it's one thing to be right, Caleb, like you were saying, with God, the Judge. And Matt, you were telling that story. If anybody who stood before a Judge has that sense of, uh, you know just by nature, a courtroom and a judge up there on the bench with a gown and gavel. And like, there's a solemnity about that, a seriousness. You you feel the weight of the law. Uh, Sadly, a lot of people kind of remain there in their relationship with God Mm -hmm. for the the duration of their Christian life. They mainly think of God as a judge who has, yes, acquitted you, but you're not like close with the judge. You <laughs> might be relieved <laughs> yeah. that he that you know the gavel came down and you heard the words not guilty. There, there's a sense of relief there, but not necessarily a relational closeness. And so it's one thing to be right with God, the judge. It is another to be adopted by God as your father. Yeah. And for that to be the primary way that we are meant to relate to God, yes. uh, when, when Jesus' disciples asked him, teach us how to pray, 
how did Jesus teach them to pray? Mm -hmm. To begin our prayers by praying, our Father, who art in heaven. We refer to God as Father. That is fundamentally the way that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, which is why consciously I try to make a point when I pray to refer to God as Father, because Mm -hmm. that relationship, that adoptive status Mm -hmm. now, I don't mainly relate to God as judge, thinking about my legal status, I relate to him as a son coming before yeah. my father. Yes. And and so this is where the blessings and benefits of salvation is pile on. You don't have adoption without justification unless your legal status is dealt with. You, you don't have access to God in this way. But now that you do, it, it's right to live in yeah. that yeah. and to primarily relate to God as father. You are his son or daughter uh, drawing near to him with with the intimacy, closeness of, yeah. of that relationship. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that is, it's such a sweet thing that that is the primary way that God relates to us through the scriptures is as father. Yeah. Um, and so all of that adoptive language takes on all that, all that that means. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but then after being justified and adopted, those are kind of uh, instantaneous, if you will, moments where you are gone from guilty to righteous and uh, a a outside the family of God to belonging to the family of God and heir to all of its benefits. Mm-hmm. Well, now life goes on <laughs> and there is now the process of living as though you are an adopted son, mm-hmm. not a foreigner. Um, so the, the, the statement continues with this last section on sanctification, perseverance, and glorification. As the all-sufficient Savior, Christ also sanctifies his people, cleansing them from the impurity of sin and setting them apart for God in his service. The renewing work of the Holy Spirit breaks their bondage to sin and Satan and raises them to new life, enabling believers to put sin to death and grow in likeness to Christ. Sanctification is therefore both a definite act of God and a progressive work of the Spirit. Believers must persevere in faith and obedience in order to be saved. Yet this perseverance is also a gift of God in Christ, who perseveres his own his own and keeps them safe forever. The ultimate goal of sanctification is our full conformity to Christ's image, which will finally come when believers are raised physically with Christ in glory, freed from sin and exulting in the presence of God forever. <laughs> it goes on. It goes on. It better just, and better. It, it goes on. And I think what's helpful about this is it this section in particular describes us as far as like where we are on this mm. This, this or- is where the, the rubber meets the road. Exactly. Yeah. On the ordo salutis, you know, the, the effectual calling, all that there was a calling in eternity past where God had our name on in the book of life. And then that then comes to pass in history where there is a, an effectual calling, regeneration, conversion. At that moment, there's justification and adoption. But then <laughs> life goes on. I, I go on. My, me, I go on living and go on sinning. So, so now what? <laughs> What, what is my status? Every time I sin, do I become outside the family of God and I have to make my way back in? Um, in this section, um, because of the security of our just, justification and adoption, because of the objective nature of it, um, and the fact that it, it, you don't become not married when you, when you sin against your wife but, or if you're having a bad day, but you are always married and then working to become a better and better husband. So now you are always a son and this process of sanctification, that word sanctification, Christ sanctifies his people. 
comes from the Latin word sanctus, which just means holy. This process of being set apart, being different from the unbelieving, unholy world. Um, because Christ is holy, that's why. So there's this process of because the Spirit now dwells in us, by virtue of being united to Christ, we receive His Spirit. And because of His Spirit working within us, we now begin to produce a different fruit. Other than the fruits of the flesh, we now produce fruits of the Spirit. And that begins to become evident. Mm-hmm. So any, anything else that stuck out to you guys? Yeah, I just know over time, uh, personally, as well as just dealing pastorally with saints of God, uh, understanding the relationship between justification yeah. and sanctification and the distinction there mm. is so illuminating and life-changing mm. when you get that. Because, Matt, like you're describing, if we confuse those two, we tend to fall into these cycles of questioning our yeah. own salvation, lacking assurance of salvation, because as life goes on, like you said, we we still sin. And so we wrestle with questions like, well, if I've actually been regenerated and my heart's been changed from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh and I've been justified and adopted, why do I still sin? And why, why do I have this remaining sin? And, and sanctification deals with that. And you, you referred to the comparison to marriage. That to me has been the most helpful way to think about and understand this because it's covenantal. And all of these blessings really could be summed up under that banner of covenant. God has established with us this yes. new covenant in Christ. And in that relationship, you know, marriage has a moment where there's a judicial declaration, I now pronounce you husband and wife. That, that's like our justification when God declares that we are righteous and not guilty. But then, like you said, marriage goes on, and just because you are married doesn't necessarily mean that you are a loving and patient and mm. sacrificial husband. Yes. You're going to learn that over time, Lord willing, and grow in those those things in the, your day-to-day life. And and yet, like you said, on your worst days, you don't have to go back and get remarried. You don't have to go redo your vows because you are in covenant. And so that's the process of, of sanctification. You're, you're in relationship with God. Your sins are forgiven. You are in the covenant. You're not falling in and out of it all the time. Yeah. Uh, and yet we all have room to grow because there's remaining sin and God is changing us. And and to see sanctification as one of the blessings of salvation, that this mm-hmm. is not like, all right, uh, God brought you this far and now you take it from here. Yeah, no, th- right. this is one of the blessings that's promised to us yes. in Christ and guaranteed to us that yes. God is going to do this. He's going to sanctify us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he's going to transform us where the rubber meets the road so that I'm actually becoming more and more like Jesus and more and more free from sin in my everyday life. Yeah. That's part of my salvation. Yeah. It is something we say a lot that our sanctification, something that we grieve is that our sanctification is <laughs> seemingly slow. Like, yeah. oh my gosh, I just did that thing again. Or I thought I, out, I, thought I, I thought I overcame that. And this, what, this doctrine of sanctification is so helpful and so good to us is that this is God's desire and purpose for us. He is at work in us to do this as we work as well, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you. Um, But it's God's character that's just being formed in us more and more increasingly. Um, And we have the, we have the joy of, that's why we talk about this is just the joy of doing life together in gospel community so that we're able to identify and point back to God's grace in our lives of you used to be more, you know, you used to be a more irritable person, more anxious person. Look where you are now. Look the ways in which you are acting in faith towards God. I mean, 
I just know uh, my temptation is always to be so inward focused and think there is no growth. There's no goodness coming from me. Mm. I'm actually going backwards and to have other people around me who are, you know, Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love, they're able to identify in me so that I'm able to grow up in every way that is Christ. Um, just that we're not just floating, mm-hmm. you know, in Christ, we're not just these, we're just floating in the sky. We're actually moving towards something. Mm. We are, God is forming in us godliness. He's mm. making us more like what he wants us to be and calls us to be. Yeah. So such good news. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think this line might stick out to people as they, as they hear it or read it. Believers must persevere in faith and obedience in order to be saved. Um, I could see you reading that, hearing that, and hearing, okay, hold on. <laughs> when you say, I must persevere in order to be saved, I thought I was already saved. I thought that's what justification was. So maybe let's, let's explain what, that is, what that's describing. What, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. That we must persevere in order to be saved. Yeah. Well, James uh, talks about a distinction between uh, the kind of faith or belief that demons have mm-hmm. and saving faith when he says demons believe that God is one. You know, doctrinally, demons know right things about God. That's not necessarily saving faith. Mm-hmm. So we see scripture often describing the nature of saving faith. What This faith that unites me to Christ, what is the nature of that? faith. And one of the attributes of that faith is that it is persevering faith. It's not like one day, a long time ago, I said, I believe. And since then, I have not trusted God another day in my life. But since I did say I trusted him once upon a time, I'm I'm good. I'm in. That that would be a mistake to think of faith that way as like a thing I did once in the past. Now, the, the nature of saving faith is that I trusted God, but I I am trusting God. I go on trusting God. And so scripture is often calling us to that perseverance, continue to trust God. Um, You know, Hebrews 3 and 4 Mm -hmm. is a a key part. Hebrews 8 and 9 as well. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, past tense, in which you stand, present tense, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed yeah. in vain. So it is possible to believe in vain where Jesus tells the parable of the soils. There are some people who receive the word initially with joy and then it's choked out by the cares of this life or there are various circumstances then that that come in and it proves unfruitful. So there was an initial reaction, but saving faith is persevering faith where you you receive the word, you hold on to it and you, you bear fruit over time. And so the scripture is calling us continually to continue in the faith. So really, I think uh, the only question that matters is not, did you believe in Jesus in the past? Really, for a a new convert who's trusting in Christ right now at this moment for the first time, and a mature Christian who's been walking with Jesus for 50 years, the mm-hmm. question is the same, are you trusting him now? Yeah. Yeah. Are you trusting him right now? And tomorrow, that will be the question, are you trusting him yeah. now? The Bible describes our salvation that using that word... Uh, in 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 many different ways, it has happened in Christ. It is happening. We are being saved, and you will. And future tense, you will be saved in the end. So the Bible, the Scripture understands our salvation to be a, uh, a an all of life thing. 
um, it's secure because it's been secured in Christ, but it is a ongoing thing. So like in first Corinthians chapter one, 18 for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing ongoing to us who are being saved. It's the very power of God. So there's a, it, we are working out our salvation with fear and trembling as Philippians two says. So there's an ongoing nature of it. And it also demands of us ongoing trust in God, all that, what you gain for the difference between someone who's trusting Jesus right now and somebody who's been trusting Jesus for 50 years is that the person who's been trusting Jesus for 50 years knows God has always keeps his word yeah. as he has for the past 50 years mm-hmm. and he will continue. So it's just your assurance gets deeper. Your faith gets stronger because of, and all of that is by grace. Mm-hmm. All of that, as the, the statement says, that, that that perseverance is also a gift of God yes. in Christ because yeah. he perseveres his own and keeps them safe forever. It's grounded in the perseverance of Christ, mm-hmm. who is our perseverance and who, are, who is our mm-hmm. salvation. So that instrument or that the ground of our salvation is Christ and his gracious work given to us based on nothing of our own. But we receive that by faith and faith trusts the promises of God. And then as James says, that will then begin to produce things. And the Bible is just so clear in both prescriptive and descriptive terms that saving faith should be evidenced. It should be uh, noticeable and discernible. I mean, think of Paul, pre-conversion. He was a very different man than he was. The Paul of Acts 8 is a very different Paul of Acts, the rest of Acts, right? He is, there is a change that takes place that is, that knows it. And it's so noticeable that, uh, that the people that he, that God entrusts to go talk to Paul or immediately after he was converted, they're like, you mean the guy who's been killing all of us? <laughs> That's the guy I need to go talk to? And Jesus says, yes, because he will find out all that I have for him. And then the rest of the book of Acts describes this totally different person. He actually spends most of the book of Acts just trying to convince the apostles and everybody else, I'm different. Mm-hmm. Um, so that saving faith is discernible. And that that's the life of of perseverance. Mm-hmm. And, and ultimately, it brings us, the, the ultimate aim, is, as the statement says, the ultimate goal of this sanctification is the full conformity to Christ's image. Mm-hmm. What we experience now, in part, will be made full at the resurrection. Mm-hmm. So we will, God will bring this, Paul says, I have faith that God will complete his work in you. He will bring you to that mm-hmm. end. So there's, that's our end goal. That's what we're aimed at. Though we experience tastes of it now, uh, we don't experience the fullness until the end of that, that glorification. And what a glorious thing that is. Yes. The hope of resurrection from the dead, new bodies, um, resurrected with, you know, body and soul forever with no remaining sin. Yeah. There will be no more sin and we will be like him mm. because we'll, we'll see him as he is yeah. and we'll enjoy God forever. To, to know that that's where all the, this is going, I think just to meditate on that remember that in the middle of right now, the fight of faith and the process of sanctification and our need for perseverance, as Hebrews says, um, it, it engenders hope and confidence to know God is going to fulfill that. And the, the promise that Paul makes in Second Corinthians when he, he says that the this light and momentary suffering is preparing for us an eternal weight mm-hmm. of glory beyond comparison. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is so glorious, so uh, weighty and eternal that we just can't even 
wrap our minds around it. And this is connected to that, the process, what we're going through now and the things we suffer now. And um, God is using this to produce that glory that's that's coming. So hmm. might finish here with just some, because there's so much more to say, but and we could we could spend 10 podcasts, 100 podcasts talking about just the glorious benefits of Christ, but might end here by, there's, there's, a, there's lyrics to a, a hymn, uh, a 19th century hymn by Horatius uh, Bonar, not what these hands have done, that I just think summarizes so well what is happening here. He says, not what these hands have done can save this guilty soul, not what this toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole, not what I feel or do can give me peace with God, not all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear my awful load. Thy work alone, O Christ, can ease this weight of sin. Thy blood alone, O Lamb of God, can give me peace within. Thy love to me, O God, not mine, O Lord, to thee, can rid me of the dark unrest and set my spirit free. Thy grace alone, O God, to me, can pardon speak. Thy power alone, O Son of God, can this sore bondage break. I bless the Christ of God. I rest on love divine. And with unfaltering lip and heart, I call this Savior mine. That's the goal. That's, that's it. That's all of it is we cannot have these, do these things on our own. God has acted in Christ, in time and space, and now has applied that to you. And so now repent and believe, turn to him, trust in him, and he will work out your salvation and he will bring you to the end. So, Amen. Till next time. Thanks for listening to Make and Multiply. If you have questions about anything related to discipleship huddles or missional communities or gospel fluency, you can reach out to your missional community leader. And if you're not yet plugged into gospel community at Emmaus Road, visit us online at EmmausRoadSF.com.